Hi, my name is Randy Gregg, and I've been asked to talk about relentlessness. And I have a definition that's a little bit different than most. Two words that come to mind are greed and stubbornness. It, it, it sounds crazy because greed and stubbornness are bad things, but they're only bad if they're considered in a selfish way. Greed to me means I want everything. I don't want a lot of money, but what I want is I want the greatest experience for my children. I want the greatest experience for my wife, my friends, my community. Stubbornness, well, we all know when our mother tells us that we got to finish the carrots and we say, we don't like carrots, that's stubbornness. That's a negative thing, but stubbornness to me means never giving up. If we believe that something is important enough, then we'll never give up on it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. This episode is pretty awesome. We have a five-time Stanley Cup champion uh, who is also a doctor, who is also part owner and the driving force behind the Edmonton River Hawks baseball team. Dr. Randy Gregg joins us, and it is an absolute pleasure to hear some of his stories and a lot of his wisdom. We are very honored to have Dr. Randy Gregg uh, on the Relentless Podcast. Thanks for being here, Randy. My pleasure, yeah. Love to be here. Yeah, it's good to meet you. This is the first time we've ever met. Well, you haven't had any knee injuries. If you had knee injuries, maybe we would have met years ago. Well, it's because I'm not athletic at all and I don't <laughs> exercise enough. Maybe maybe, maybe that's a... We'll work on that. We'll work on that. Um, it's so great to have you here. I actually, you didn't know this. Uh, I asked Steve Hogel, who is your general manager of the, uh, of the baseball squad there, um, the Edmonton River Hawks, uh, if you have a good sense of humor. And he said, absolutely. So just so you know, we're not, not going to talk about relentless stuff. I've, we brought you in so for you to give me a physical. Oh, great. So I'm well, just going to start over. this. I'm going to start disrobing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be your best podcast ever uh, if we start doing that. Or the worst. There you go. <laughs> too. Um, again, thanks for being here. Uh, Randy, you've lived... Uh, 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 and I know you're a humble guy, but you lived a pretty extraordinary life in my opinion. And we talked prior to, to start the recording. Uh, hopefully I didn't make you feel uncomfortable, but to me, this was a really cool thing. You were coming. I've never met you before. Um, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, you did as well. Um, but I grew up here uh, as, a, as a young guy into my teenage years in the 80s when the Edmonton Oilers of the National Hockey League were um, dominating, absolutely dominating. And we didn't really understand how good we had it because this was it became so normal uh, for this team to just win and win and win and all these uh, exceptional things happening. So to have you come on, uh, is a cool thing for me because I feel like I'm meeting one of these, really one of my, my childhood heroes whenever I was a kid watching you play hockey. So, Well, thank you for that. It's interesting what history does and what time does. I, I know when I played with the Edmonton Oilers, I was a below average player. Uh, when I retired, they thought, oh, he's okay. About 10 years later, they said, well, he's a five-time Stanley Cup champion, and now I'm a superstar. So, I, yeah, you know, I'm 90 years old. I might be better than Wayne Gretzky. So it's amazing how we get so much better 
um, you know, we realized that a team uh, has to be comprised of many different players. Uh, we had the luxury of having some of the greatest players in the history of hockey, um, but they couldn't win the Stanley Cup by themselves. And so the, the mutters, like the rest of us, you know, had to do our bit to be able to be successful. Now, obviously, people went to watch a Wayne Gretzky and a Mark Messi. And in fact, we caught ourselves often on the ice watching them because they were so fabulous. Um, but, you know, they, they gave us all a Stanley Cup ring because two people don't win Stanley Cups. And so we realized that a team is made up of all the parts and not just a few parts. I feel uh, so much affirmation in my life right now because what you just talked about uh, is what me and Steve Hogel, uh, uh, we had him on as a guest as well, have talked about as well. And I was saying that type of stuff. And I use that analogy around the Oilers winning cups. You can't just do it with a Gretzky and a coffee and a Mark Messi. You need all these other uh, types of players. It's the same with with any type of work you do. Anything you do in life, you need that. Um, whenever I I look back uh, and did a little bit of research on your career, you did not have this straight path to the NHL. And actually, I think one of the most interesting parts of your story, for me anyways, is that you, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think you went and played junior A hockey. I don't think you went to the WHL. You didn't go that route. You were, you were playing essentially local hockey, went to the University of Alberta to start because you wanted to become a doctor. And they had, if I'm not mistaken, open tryouts. And you were like, yeah, I'm just going to try out for this team and see what happens. And then what happened? Yeah, well, actually, my, my NHL career started at the Inglewood Community League, 127th Street, 113th Avenue, downtown Edmonton. It's like inner city right now uh, because my parents, in their wisdom, thought that I should be active. And so they bought me skates. So my mother made sure supper was finished at 5 because at 5.30 I was walking down the big windrows, the ice windrows uh, on 127th Street. Luckily, I didn't get hit by any cars to skate for three or four hours a night until they turned off the lights and I had to go home. And I did that day in and day out with my best friends. I didn't become a particularly great hockey player, but I developed a love for the game. And uh, my father, who was a businessman, made a small rink outside the backyard like every father does. And I was out there when I was, I think, three or four years old. Uh, and so I had no preconceived notion that I was a great player. I just really thought that if I was going to do something, I should do it well. Um, in my third year of science, I, I got to university at 16, so I was a little bit young to be a university student. So when I finally uh, was accepted to medical school, I was 19, and my brother, older brother, who is a doctor, said, now, Randy, you got to give up this hockey crap and all this other stuff. you got to dedicate yourself to medicine because, you know, it's a very important profession. So I said, absolutely, I do that. Well, there was a free tryout, and I thought, well, another skate for free, that would be fine. So I went out to the trout, and sure enough, there was a couple of defensemen that had retired from the Golden Bears, and and uh, sure enough, they they let me play on the team. And and I, I realized, and I told my brother, I said, the moment hockey gets in the way of my medical studies, I'm quitting. And so four years later, and a couple of national championships, um, really not only the Inglewood Community League, but Claire Drake. Uh, people talk about Claire Drake as such an amazing man. And unless you really experience the individual, you say, oh, sure, he's, he's a good coach and everything. But um, he showed us was what relentless this was. Mm. He showed us that we have to work hard at what we love. We do it together and we repeat it until we get it right. 
Claire Drake used to have 50-minute practices. Well, at the University of Alberta, we could practice for five hours. And, of course, most of us in our first year wouldn't even look at Claire Drake, let alone ask him questions because we revered him so much. But after the third year, I was the captain of the team, so I went to Coach Drake. I said, Coach, you know, we could be out there for two hours. Why do we always have 50-minute practices? And he looked me in the eye and said, that's all I need. Because most people would go out there and practice at 60% intensity. And Claire Drake says, you don't play at 60% intensity, play at 100%. So if you're going to play at 100%, practice at 100%. Right. And nobody can practice for two hours at 100%. So in fact, there was the first revelation. Well, maybe if you're going to play at a high level, practice at a high level. It was interesting that many years later, when I was playing with the Oilers, uh, between Mark, Messi, and I, there was an empty uh, seat in the, in the dressing room. And there was a fellow named Doug Hallward. He played with the Detroit Red Wings, and he, he got traded to our team right before the Stanley Cup playoffs started. And so Doug went out to the first practice, and uh, he came in. He was sweating, and we were all sweating. And, and I looked over and said, Doug, how was practice? And he looked me in the eye, and he said, you guys practice harder than we play. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder why we've got three Stanley Cups. Right. So he realized that what Claire Drake had taught us a long time ago and what the Oilers realized was just natural, that if you're going to do something, do something right. Do it right. Work hard. Work hard. 50 minutes. You can't go minutes. for a minute, right. an hour and a half because the only way to get through an hour and a half is to go at 60% intensity. Who plays at 60% intensity? Right. We never did. That's just such a good concept. And if you put that into different aspects of your life, it's a good concept. Right. Um, you know, when, when, when you were playing hockey for U of A, you were there starting your educational academic career as well to become a doctor. Um, Randy, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, and I know you're not going to judge me on this, but I'm not an educated guy. Uh, I did one year of university, the best mark, uh, I ever got in that year, my wife wrote the paper. Um, <laughs> I'm not an academic guy by nature. Uh, but I will say this. I have such respect for education. I have such respect for for people that are willing to, to give so much of themselves, to educate themselves, to then help others, which, of course, is what the medical field is. What made you, like, when did you think, I want to be a doctor? Like, how, how old were you when you started thinking that? Yeah, so my older brother was a doctor, and I, I didn't know much about medicine, but I realized it was a great challenge, uh, as hockey was a challenge, as marriage is a challenge. We have challenges throughout our life, so I thought that would be a good challenge. But interesting, you mentioned about education. I want to go back to that for a second because uh, because I was a bit of an anomaly. Not many people went through university and went on to the NHL. Uh, in my first year of the NHL, we were in Pittsburgh, and uh, a reporter came up to me, and of course, he let Wayne go by and Mark go by and Kevin and Paul go by and they want to talk to me, this old, you know, slow defense. But I thought, okay, well, that's kind of odd. Anyway, he asked me, he said, Randy, what's it like to be in the dressing room reading medical books when all the other guys are in the room reading comic books? So, of course, I knew right away that he didn't care about me too much. He was just using my background to show how ignorant hockey players were. So I said, well, first of all, I'm not in the room reading medical books, and they're certainly not in the room reading comic books. And in fact, I have more respect for the dedication and discipline and hard work that these players have than some of the doctors in the hospital. I thought, you're not going to use my background to make a statement that was wrong. 
Anyway, it came out in the hockey news about two weeks later, and every hockey player reads the hockey news. Right. In quotation marks. Well, I'm in my room reading medical books, and they're in the room reading comic books, but on the whole, they're pretty good guys, end of quotation marks. So you can imagine what every hockey player in the NHL thought. This arrogance SOB thinks he's better than us because he went to university. Anyway, about a year later, I found that reporter, and I I grabbed him, and I pushed him up against the wall, and I said, if you ever do that to anyone else, I don't know what I was going to do, but I thought (laughs) I'd better do something. Now, luckily, I... I think the way I played, I they probably said, boy, that was a stupid comment. And then they realized probably it was just a misquote. That's terrible. But uh, so, yeah, so I don't care whether you have an education or not, because what's an education? Right. You know, uh, running a business education, driving a car, being right. a taxi driver, being a parent, understanding what it's like to be the third defenseman on a defense team of six. Right. Lots of ways that we can get educated without being a doctor. Right. And in fact, it's interesting that many doctors become great not because they're educated but because they're smart mm. we don't have to go to university to become smart there's a difference i was i was looking at you guys before i came up and i'm like dude there must be money in dirt because you guys look nice hey folks do you like to laugh who doesn't like to laugh the UCAN comedy nights are a ton of fun and do they ever make you laugh listen our next UCAN comedy nights happen in march 2023 if you want all the details on how you can support our incredible organization, You Can Use Services, go to our website for more details. That is at youcancomedy.ca, and you can find out all about our shows, our comedians, who's coming in, and all the ways that you can come out and support us. We look forward to having you there, and uh, why don't you come and have some laughs supporting the serious work that we do at You Can Use Services. And now, back to the show. I think I watched Boys on the Bus 50 times. <laughs> so this came out when I was probably 12, 13, 14. Uh, house league hockey player. Aspirations, though, because every hockey player had aspirations. But like I told you uh, in the beginning as of us chatting and, and before we, we started recording, you guys, to many of us in this community, and I think you, I, I, maybe you don't realize it. It was just all bigger than life. It was just incredible. And I watched this thing over and over and over and over. But your clip of telling your story about that reporter, but what you said about your teammates, about how you have more respect for them, you the, the, their hard work, their dedication, all that. As a 13-year-old watching that, I honestly took more out of that clip than I had taken out of so many of the other clips within, to me, an awesome documentary. Um, and I just have to tell you that I, I, I knew right then and there that it was absolutely that you're a classy guy that I remember thinking that as a kid going, listen to this guy talk about being a teammate that way. That to me was just more, it was, it was almost more impressive than, than the whole idea of you're a doctor and a hockey player at the same time. So let me uh, explain that comment to Kevin. Is, Kevin Lowe is a wonderful guy and has done really, really well. He's a good friend, and, and he's wrong. <laughs> okay. I, and you can tell Kevin he's wrong. Because well, help me get him on the, on the podcast, and I will. So the, and no, I, Kevin's done a great job, and he's been a big part of the success of the Oilers, not only playing, but also as the president and so forth. The assumption that a person plays in the Olympics and it's recreational 
and the assumption that somebody plays in Japan and it's recreational mm. is a misconception. Right. Because not everyone has to start playing in the Western, Western Hockey League at 16 to make a commitment. If you watched my wife and I play Scrabble at night, my wife has more. She, by the way, she went to two Olympics. Two time Olympian. Yeah. She has more intensity in Scrabble than most people have in the NHL. Right. So I love Kevin, and we, we can talk about this. So, in fact, what those episodes and those experiences gave me was the fact that we have to be relentless. Mm. I talk about relentless a little bit different. I, I have two words that I associate with that concept. And one is greed and one is stubbornness. Now, when we think about greed, we think about getting as much money as we can. I'm greedy that way. No, I don't care about the money. Somebody once said that the the definition of financial independence is having one more dollar than you need and financial despair is having one less dollar you need. So whether you have a million dollars or a hundred million or five dollars, doesn't matter. But greed to me means I want everything. I want the experience. I want to go home at the end of a game and say, I've got nothing left. I gave everything. I took everything from that experience. I want to be able to look at my children and say, I didn't do one thing less than I could to make you the best kids you can be. Not that you're going to be the best kids ever, just the best kids you could be. Stubbornness seems like a negative connotation, you know, uh, eat your carrots. No, I'm not going to eat my carrots. I'm stubborn. Stubbornness to me means not giving up. Mm. And there's not an easy way. When you lose the Stanley Cup, it's not fun. All those people that love you now hate you. And so stubbornness means not giving up on your goals. And whether that's your relationship with your wife, with your children, not taking an easy way out. I go home at the end of the day and I'm spent because I'm stubborn with my patients. But they may or may not like me. I don't know. But I can't think of one day in 25 years where I've taken the easy way out with my patients. I may not be smart enough to give them good care, but I'm not giving up on them. And so whether it's relentlessness, greed, stubbornness, as long as it's not about what we get, but what we give, then I think we can be successful. We, were, we tried no less in 1986 when we lost the Calgary Flames than in 1987 when we win our third Stanley Cup. It was circumstances. But at the end of the day, we look back and the, and the fans say, oh, that was an awful year. No, it was a great year. We just didn't win the last game. So that's the beauty of fandom, isn't it? We, we, we love the highs and we also love the lows. We love the despair that happens to people that we're, we look up to. But from a player's standpoint, in either circumstances, I mean, when you win a Stanley Cup, I remember 1990. So a young man named Adam Graves mm. was traded. And Adam kept telling me he lived 45 seconds from my dinner table because literally he was over at my place most of the day. <laughs> I would come home in the afternoon and he'd be up in the playroom playing with my two sons. You know, just maybe the most wonderful man I've ever met. Anyway, after we beat Boston in game four in Boston, and the Boston Gardens is an awful building. They don't use it anymore, I don't think. And uh, after we won... Him and I sat in the dressing room arm in arm for half an hour. We weren't yelling and screaming. We reached the goal we had. I had it was my fifth Stanley Cup. It was his first. But we just sat there just knowing that we gave it all we could. And we brought another Stanley Cup back to Edmonton. 
But what an experience. I think back uh, like it was yesterday that this young man and I had our arms around each other, just sitting there completely exhausted, knowing that we didn't play any harder than we did in 1989 when we lost, but we were successful in the minds of people. I'm going to fanboy out. uh, Not even, well, I don't know if it's a fanboy out, but on April 30th, 1986, that was the day that Steve Smith put the puck in the net off of Grand Fear. Now, why do I remember that, Randy? Because that's my birthday. And it was also Steve Smith's birthday. I don't know if you remember that or not, because the next day in the paper, it was awful, shows him with his hands over his face crying and says, happy happy B-Day, Steve. And I thought it was the most awful, worst thing they could say to this poor guy after what had happened. Um, but it was, a, it was a bad day. It was my 13th birthday. I was in grade seven. It was, it was a bad day. Bad day in Edmonton. So do you know how many newspapers they sold that day? Hmm. Probably a lot. Yeah. And do you remember when Glenn Anderson had a breakaway miss the net? And when we had a power play, we didn't score. Right. And when they scored two or three or four other goals, but nobody cared. Right. So we can all point our fingers at Steve as the media did because they sold a lot of newspapers. Yeah. It was funny and people enjoyed that. Wasn't funny to me, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. And so we all took that on our shoulders. I yeah. wasn't the one. And sure, Steve would have 99 out of 100 times gone around the outside of the net. Yeah. He wanted to make a, a fancy pass and he got caught on it. But we've all done that. Yeah. So was he less of a teammate because he did? Of course not. The, the, the best part of that story the best part of April 3rd, a year later, sometime in May, 87, Flyers, Game 7, Steve Smith holding the cup up. And you guys all, I'm assuming you were all so happy for him, probably more than for yourself. I just think that that, again, shows that group of people, that group of individuals, that group of men who were just so tight and close and and loved one another for whatever the, the, all the different reasons that you brought. Um, anyways, those are some great hockey stories, and, and I could sit and talk to you about hockey for about eight straight days. But So let me tell you about a man who you may remember, most people don't, who may have been the most instrumental person to win five Stanley Cups. His name's not Wayne or Mark. And his name is Yaroslav. And so there were two rookies when I, in my rookie year, myself and a fellow named Yaroslav Pozar. Yeah. Played with the Czechoslovakian national team. Had gone to two Olympics, the number of world championships. I was his roommate, so I taught him English. And uh, didn't do a very good job. He wasn't very good at English, <laughs> but we could converse. And and uh, Yaroslav was a big bear of a man. And, uh, in fact, I remember once uh, there was we were playing at Chicago Stadium. And, uh, and one of their big tough guys took Yaroslav into the boards pretty hard. And Yaroslav turned around, picked him up with one hand, and threw him into the boards and I was sitting beside Kevin Lowe and we're looking like holy shit did you see that just strength anyway uh that was the year that we lost four straight to the New York Islanders and um and it wasn't easy it probably wasn't fun for the fans to watch us lose against a better team not better players but certainly a better team and of course my wife will tell you the worst thing about Stanley Cup is playoff beard so after every Stanley Cup you have to shave off your beard so I remember being in the basement of the Long Island County Coliseum, shaving off this big, ugly red beard. And after we shaved, we, we sat down, we had a meeting. And Ted Green at the time came in and talked about, you know, being tough. And he was a tough man. He was a great guy. And then finally, Yaroslav got up 
And Yaroslav had gained the respect of the players on our team, not because he was a great goaltender, he's a third, fourth line player, but he got up in his halting English that I taught him, so I'm, I'm not proud of that <laughs> because I didn't do a very good job. But he looked at the big guys and said, you scored 93 goals. You got all these points. We got beat by a better team. If you want a Stanley Cup ring, start playing as a team. And that resonated through this dressing room because we were all pretty upset because we thought here we are in the first Stanley Cup ever. And the next year, we saw the big guys coming back into the defensive zone to get the puck instead of trying to thread the puck through to center ice so they can get a breakaway. We started to see people understand that to be a great team, you had to be a great team, not great players. And so when I think back of the transition that took us from a good team to a Stanley Cup champion team, that conversation in halting English was a very important one. And I think Wayne and Mark and everybody else who was there would probably agree to that. That's an incredible story. That is. And I remember Polizar. I think he wore number 10, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a strong man. That's, that's just a great story. Um, bigger picture seeing that right yeah for sure very cool um you are also a two-time olympian uh which i think is incredible i think um and actually <laughs> this had nothing to do with you coming on the podcast i recently uh because of rob who owns road 55 here who, who we're, we do all of our, our our stuff with suggested uh on social media if you haven't watched eddie the eagle or, or the movie about Eddie the Eagle, uh, watch it. And I had never seen it. And so I watched it. I don't know if you've watched the movie, but you know what? It's a good little movie. It's it's not this earth-shattering, but it was just a good, feel-good story. But of course, I was at the 88 Olympics, um, and it just brought me back to that and as a kid watching it. But I was just so inspired by this man's desire to be an Olympic athlete uh, in in ski jumping from England, where they don't they don't really do that much, and it, for him it was just the 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 concept of the Olympics and and just the hard work and the dedication and everything that went into that. And this man was relentless. And you know what? He was not very good compared to the other people that were there. But it's that's to me is like saying that oh this guy's a terrible NHL hockey. <laughs> it's like you say you think he's bad? He's in the NHL, like he's that good. So to me, Eddie the Eagle may not have been the the top guy from Finland at the time, but he made the Olympics and he was doing this. So when I think of the Olympics, I know that you um, you actually made some pretty significant choices in your life to go to the Olympics. Uh, tell us why. Yeah, so, you know, that's a really interesting concept. You know what you get paid to do in the NHL? One thing, win. Win. That's, it's a job. That's what you do. And, of course, when you go to the Olympic Games, what do you want to do? A win. That's why you go. That's what competition is all about. You know, in 1980, I'd, I'd finished off uh, my career at the U of A, and, and there was this unbelievable gentleman named Father David Bauer who ran the Olympic program. He's putting together a program. In 1979, we're in Moncton, New Brunswick in the National Championships for University and this fellow came around and said hello. His name was Father Bauer and I kind of vaguely remember the name and a wonderful person. Of course, he was scouted at that time because 1980, we were going to represent Canada 
in Lake Placid. So luckily enough, I became the captain of that team. We had a number of Canadian players. And, and uh, when I went down there, well, what was my job is to win, of course, because that's what you do in hockey. And I will never forget there was this, I think she was English speed skater. And she was last in every race, last in every race, didn't win a darn thing. But every night she was at the disco the, in the Olympic Village dancing with the Swedish downhill skiers and the Finnish losers and mm. all these people. And I was in my room getting ready for the next game. And I thought, how can you do that? You've lost your last place the whole time. You're dancing. How dare you do that? Because we're here to win. Well, years later, I looked back and thought, it was me that was wrong. Because not only... Did she enjoy the time of her life? But I found out later that she, she got PBs, personal best in every race. Mm. She just wasn't good enough. So she turned an experience of the Olympics into something that was magical. When I sat in the room hoping to win the next game. Now, fortunately for me, I met a beautiful young lady from Winnipeg in Lake Placid. And we ended up marrying and having four kids. So I, I, I didn't get my Olympic medal, but I got much more important no, things way, than that. Way more. But I, since then... You know, that experience to see this speed skater who lost every single race but excelled better than she ever had before kind of gave me the impression that, sure, the fans will love us if we win and they'll hate us when we lose. That's what NHL is about. We understand that. If you don't like it, don't get paid. Go do something else. But that resounded with me. And when our children grew up, it, it resounded very much. You know, I used to coach my kids in baseball. My wife coached my girls in softball. And we'd always, you know, get picked for certain teams. And I'd always pick the, the weaker players. And there'd be Bantam AAA, AA, single A. And my boys would come and say, Dad, what, what are we? I, I said, we, we're Bantam Triple P. They said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. Let's go have fun. Yeah. Because people think that the Bantam AAAs are better. Well, they're not better. They're just more experienced. And after years of those Bantam AAA players retiring from their sport, my young men were still playing when they're 30 years old. Mm. So when we look at success, and, and that English speed skater a long, long time ago maybe kicked me in the head a little bit to say, what really is success? You know, I got a Stanley Cup ring. I think they're in some box somewhere at home. It doesn't make my life any better. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by being part of those teams. I just wanted more. I was greedy. Right. I was relentless to say my life can't stop after nine years in the NHL. I like using the words uh, greedy and stubborn when we talk about relentless. I actually do think that – I don't know the exact definition of relentless in the dictionary, but there is a negative connotation to it almost, and and I I just don't see it that way. And I actually love the way that you were describing the greedy and the stubbornness because it actually doesn't, it's, it's not negative. It's wanting more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting more, in my opinion. And I actually think that's what can help drive us. I think it can help get us through many things in our lives. Um, and I actually think that depending on what your passion is, of course, but it helps bring people together too. You mentioned earlier that that in that stubbornness and that greediness and that relentlessness, um, if it's not just about you, 
right? It's about bigger. It's about uh, a bigger cause. Uh, it's about a team. It's about this common goal. It's about a community. It's for, for me and my work, it's about the young people we work with and helping them and assisting them and moving them out of harm's way. And sometimes you have to be relentless and stubborn and greedy for them. It's, it's not for, for us. So you're absolutely right. And I think the connotation when somebody talks about being stubborn or being greedy, it's selfishness. Right. But that doesn't have to be. No. If your greed and your stubbornness is about making the people around you as good as they can be. You know, uh, about six years ago, we had one grandchild and my wife uh, looked in. We had a a playroom of course our kids are too old to play so she said you know why don't i turn this playroom into a sleepover room that way when we have grandkids they can come sleep over i said ah that's great so about a month later i looked in she's got nine beds i said kathy you've got nine beds we have one grandchild she said you build it and they will come <laughs> we now have not 10 grandchildren so she's smarter than i she always has been always will be but the, that is the, brilliant though. but the comment that's important <laughs> is when you have five grandchildren jumping over you on your lap wanting every single moment of you it's completely exhausting it was exhausting when i was 30 it's very exhausting now so the greediness the selfishness would be i'm going to go watch tv go sit in the corner and my wife is an unbelievable role model and i try to keep up with her and for every moment of the day we are doing something with those little guys and they're exhausted and i go home and i sleep for 14 hours because i'm exhausted not because I'm selfish, but I'm greedy that I want the best for my young grandchildren. Right. Let's talk community building. Um, you've been a, a, a really a member of this community your entire life. You've gone to different places in the world with, with some of your travels and, and some of your career. Um, but for the most part, this, this has been your home. I know that you are proud uh, to be from Edmonton. I know that you love it here very much. You, from what I've been told, uh, were actually, uh, and you're going to be humble because uh, you're a humble guy, but from what I've been told, you were a much better baseball player than you ever were a hockey player and that this is such a passion of yours. So I would like to talk some baseball with you. And, and uh, let me preface it. I know not a lot about baseball, but I will tell Randy, can I tell you a sports story about me? Absolutely. Because you've been hogging all the stories, right? I have been. Sorry and about it's that. And it's a little bit annoying, right? Mm-hmm. You've been, oh, let me talk about Stanley Cups and stuff. Uh, when I was, uh, I think they used to call it Mosquitoes. Was mm-hmm. that was the division? Sure, oh, yeah. 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I played baseball for one year. I was not. I was not good at all. Uh, uh, but for the last game of the year, and it was a championship game. Don't even remember if there was playoffs involved, but this was a championship game. They put me at uh, second base, and we would have been probably winning by one or two runs. Um, bases are loaded for them, and a kid comes up, hits the ball. It's the bottom of the probably the, the fifth inning because when you're little, they don't do nine innings, right, like fifth or seventh inning. And somehow, uh, 10-year-old chubby Kyle Dubay <laughs> runs. I say run. I probably took two steps. I say jump. I probably just had to put my glove up. I'm, making, I'm trying to make it sound as good as possible. And I catch this ball. So it's, it's out. And I look at the ball. Whoa. And then they say, touch second. Touch, touch second base. So I just, I don't know. I touch second base. And then, like, throw it to first. Throw it. I throw it to first, triple play. Oh my gosh. We won the championship. 
never played another baseball game in my life because I thought I'm going to quit on that. <laughs> and truthfully, in the moment, didn't even understand what had happened. All I know is that the entire team ran to me. It was like in the movies and they're holding me up and I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but I, this is fantastic. So that's my baseball story. Uh, some of my favorite movies of all time are baseball movies. Uh, usually Kevin Costner is in, but mm-hmm. um, some some stuff. Baseball, though, I do believe is just this awesome sport. I know a lot of people that love it. I know a lot of people that have played it. A lot of people that their kids play it. Passion of yours. And we had this beautiful building in this city, um, which was getting a little old and, you know, and you thought, no, let's, let's fix this and let's bring some baseball back to Edmonton. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so from a personal perspective, uh, I remember coaching my sons when they were really small, and, and I had a young fellow, uh, one of their best friends, who I put at first base, and and he he wasn't a very focused person. Uh, and so I looked out, and I noticed that he was really focusing and looking at the 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 hitter like for like three straight minutes. He never did that before. And I and I went to the assistant coach. I said, look. He's, he's finally, we finally got it into his mind. He's focusing. And then I watched him do this. And he grabbed at a mosquito <laughs> that he'd been looking at for three minutes while the game was going on. So I realized baseball is not for everybody. Yeah. And in fact, baseball can be a very, very boring sport unless you know it. Right. They say there's about 12 minutes of action in nine innings of baseball. So unlike hockey, which is a fabulous sport, people say, I don't know anything about it, but boy, there's lots of excitement. Baseball can be an unbelievably exciting game as you start to get higher up. Now, the problem is you got to get higher up. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to have my older brother coach me in baseball, so he taught me the, the passion for the game and how to play well enough. And I went out to this team called the Edmonton Tigers. I wanted to play for the junior team. And anyway, I ended up making the senior team. So I played at, at uh, John Ducey Park um, at that point in time, and, and I, I, I loved the experience. Anyway, we went to the national championships. This is the best senior baseball championships in the world. We went in Manitoba, and the president of Baseball Canada said, the best players in this tournament will represent Canada in Italy in the world championships. I thought, my God, are you kidding me? To represent Canada in Italy? like That would be a dream country. If, if I never do anything more in my life, that would be great. So anyway, I got kind of lucky. I, I threw a one-hitter, and in the last three games, I hit seven home runs. So they, they gave me the... the uh, most valuable player award. and uh, But then anyway, the president of the Baseball Canada came up to me after and said, Randy, that was pretty exciting what you did, but we're not going to pick you for the team because you don't play baseball in the United States. So the thinking was, of course, you can't be really good unless you go and have a scholarship down in the States. Well, at that point, you know, I couldn't really go to the States because I was in medical school. And I, I thought, well, I better keep this medical school gig going. So that's why I played hockey instead. But I remembered that, that, that you're judging people by where you play and not the person. So fortunately for me, hockey turned out okay. I did some few, you know, <laughs> few things. But what it reminded me is, you know, I like Americans, but, but I'm not American. I'm right. Canadian. And every young boy or girl that walks down my street in my city, I want to give the best opportunity to have the great experience anytime they can in any sport they want. Now, we've done a great job with hockey, that folks are doing it in basketball, are doing it in soccer. We're having a wonderful organization in, in lower levels of sport. But if you want to aspire to be a great 
um, gymnast, you've got to see the great gymnasts. And so we thought, uh, you know, over the years, the facility had been worn down. The, the people who ran it sort of wanted the money and not anything else. And we thought, you know what, a, a city the size of Edmonton needs Como Stadium. We need Rogers Place and we need a great baseball facility. So I got together a bunch of friends, luckily, because they are such great friends. And we put together a proposal for an operating lease. And uh, to be honest with you, don't tell my wife this because I never pull weeds at my house, <laughs> but we've pulled thousands of weeds there and, and love to do that because that's, it's become our field of dreams. And not only because we're proud of the hard work we put into it and brought in a West Coast League team, which is fabulous, but the most exciting times is when we see this peewee double B baseball tournament and these little kids come or we have the Eminent Sport and Social Club. These are older fellows and, and girls who play slow pitch. They come out. We can't get rid of them after the game because they want to take pictures. And we say, take pictures. This is your facility. Yeah. So as an Edmontonian, we didn't want to lose that. And we realized there is a magic to a facility. And if they don't know who picked the weeds, who cares? All we know is that they appreciate the fact that Edmonton's a slightly bigger, better place because of the work that, that many of us have, have done. Now, the great thing is if you're going to do some work, why not surround yourself with your best friends so it doesn't become work? We, we enjoy that. It was interesting because uh, there were some concerns about getting a baseball team in. The Western Canadian Baseball League has been a good league uh, around Edmonton and Alberta and uh, some difficulty in negotiation with the people that were already here. And I got a call from a friend who is part of our group. And he said, well, have you ever heard of the West Coast League? I said, yeah, but we're not in the West Coast. We're in Alberta. So it usually takes about three years to get that franchise. It took us three months. Oh, wow. And so now we have the West Coast League in 2019 had 90 players in the Major League Draft that played in that league. So we're not going to see Connor McDavid, but we might see somebody who's going to play three or four years from now in Los Angeles Absolutely. New York. So we're excited about the facility. We love to share it with people. I think this year we had 250 other activations of we had a bar mitzvah <laughs> we had a graduation uh slow pitch softball yeah. with baseball we love that idea that um the jazz fest i think is uh our blues fest is coming next year you know really a great Excellent. way to bring people who don't know anything about baseball because right. it's sure it's a baseball stadium but it's a city facility we yeah. want to share it with people yeah and it can be utilized for so many different things i mean you just a laundry list of different activities that can happen there right um, I think it's pretty awesome. And, and in your pursuit of doing this, though, I mean, there must have been some hiccups along the way. There must have been a few roadblocks. Um, I just love the idea, though, that you brought all these people together. This is a, it's, it's essentially a community-owned franchise. Um, but what it's doing is it's trying to bring the community together to enjoy this sport and talk and talking to, to Steve Hogle, your general manager, his, his, you know, big thing is, is baseball is the baseball, but let's also try to give everybody this experience. Um, it, you don't have to pay 25 bucks for a beer, right? Come and have some good food, some, some good beer, but it's not, it's affordable for everybody. So that's absolutely right. And, you know, one thing that medicine has done is it's a great challenge every day. You know, I might see the 5,000th knee, but it's not somebody else. So right. it's somebody new, new. And so the, the biggest quality, the most important quality in a doctor, I think, is to know what you know and know what you don't know. Because uh, 
years ago when I was going through medical school, you know, they gave you so much work and you, you read it and you thought, okay, I know everything about medicine. Well, now there's probably 200 times the amount of information there was then. So we can't know everything about medicine. We have to know uh, our area and then either refer off or something like that. And similarly with this concept, I know nothing about teaching, but we have seven teachers and one principal in our group. I know nothing about business, but we have some big business leaders. Uh, I know nothing about parent well, I, I guess I do know something about parenting. You know a lot old, about parents. But now we've got some young parents who right. have four and five-year-olds and what their goals are. Um, so it's interesting. You surround yourself with good people and as hopefully a role model to say, I don't want you to do it. You show me how to do it. And if you want to come, fine, but I'm willing to do the work. It's just we use the skills of people. Steve is an unbelievable man, has a great deal of experience, passion, you know, over the moon. Over the moon. But he also realizes that we've got probably 1,500 people in Edmonton that would sit in a clothes closet and watch baseball. And we've got 960,000 people that want to be entertained. Mm. One thing we said, too, and, and as much as I love the Oilers, uh, and my, my brother's got two suites there, so he pays his fair share to have these suites. I wanted to make sure that we never had a family come to the game and say, son, I can't afford something. Mm. So I said to the food and beverage people, you have your $8 hamburger. It's great. It's wonderful. I want a $3 hot dog because I never want to see a mom or dad say, son, let's buy popcorn instead. And so we'll stay that. First year was an unbelievable year. And everybody said, well, are you going to increase your prices? We said, no. But they said, well, you can. I said, just because we can doesn't mean we're going to. Right. We want to share this experience with the people. And that $3 hot dog might get that new Canadian who doesn't even know what baseball is. Sure. To say, this is special. This is sure. a special moment. It's about community. Bringing people together. Making it accessible. Right? Um, I, I I appreciate your time so much. And, and we're going to come to a close soon. But I, I do want to I, I want to talk to you about another part of your life that uh, I know you're relentless in. And that is being a husband, being a dad, and being a grandfather. Um, I know I know how much that's important to you. And, and actually in that clip from Boys in the Bus, I don't know if you heard it or not, uh, I can hear one of your kids, they must have been a baby in, <laughs> in the background um, while you were doing that interview. So Randy, you know, talk to, talk to me about that. What, why, why is that so, well, I shouldn't say why is that so important. That's a silly question. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they only give the Stanley Cup rings to the players. Mm. And everybody says how great you are. And little did I know in 1980, not only did I see this wonderful-looking young lady who was stronger than I was, smarter than I was, certainly much better looking, and just an unbelievable person. If you ever had to do a 1,500-meter in speed skate, I can't. I don't think I can go that far. They tell me it's the worst race because you try to go as fast as you can, and by the end, you have nothing. Your right. legs are jelly. The first time we had our first child, uh, my wife had labor for about two minutes. She didn't even feel the pain. And finally said, I, I have to push. And two minutes later, we had the baby. Because she'd gone through so much pain in being an elite athlete. In the same way, all the time when I was going to these functions for Peter Pockington and the Oilers and when we were on the road, my wife was at home with four kids. Mm. So when you look at it, we had all the fun part. And we got all the accolades. And she hopefully got a lot from me, but not outwardly. Like, it is unbelievable what you allow these men to do. So, and that's not just my wife, but all the other wives. They, they're really, they're, they are the Dalai Lama of hockey. There's no question about that. 
after saying that, the one thing we never wanted to do is we never wanted our children to grow up to be, I'm somebody's son. And so we had a basement that wasn't finished. And when my sons were five and six, uh, we used to go down and play floor hockey. And in fact, you talk about a hockey stick. Um, one of their friends came over once and he was right-handed shot. Well, I'm a left-handed shot. All my sticks are left. All my boys are left. And so I grabbed this hockey stick. It was a right-hand stick. So we played. I looked at it. It was a signed Yari Curry Stanley Cups <laughs> autograph of all the players, probably worth $10,000. Yeah. And this little guy didn't know what he was doing. It was just a right-hand stick. So I thought, oh, shoot, maybe I better keep that for yeah. some charity. Yeah. And anyway, um, so we were down there playing and, uh, and my oldest son looked at me and said, Dad, I want to be Marc Messier. He'd gone to grade one and somebody told him that Marc Messier was a great player. And my five-year-old said, dad, I want to be Jeff Bukaboom because he didn't know Jeff Bukaboom, but he liked the name. It sounded kind of fun. And then they looked at me and said, dad, who do you want to be? And I thought, we've done it. You know, I, I, I've tried to pursue the goals I have. My kids will end up being kids and not somebody's kid. Now, eventually, of course, they realized that I played hockey and they came down to the dressing room and they learned things. But uh, I think my wife was really the the, the leader in that to say, just because you chase a hockey puck around doesn't mean you're any greater than anybody. You're great because you're great. So prove that. Be a great father. Be a role model. Uh, be there when they need them. Um, my daughter was a wonderful athlete. Uh, well, both daughters. One went to two Olympics. The other one was a volleyball player. And uh, she went to Rothschild High School, same high school I went to. And she was on the senior team at grade 10. So she was a setter. Anyway, I used to sneak out uh, of the medical clinic at 5 to be there by 5.15 to watch her play. Anyway, one day the patient was late, so I got there about 5.25. I snuck in. I went into the balcony. Nobody could see me. And she's a setter, so she's not looking around. She's doing setting. Anyway, I watched the whole game. I picked her up, and we're going home. She looked at me and said, Dad, why were you late? So here she was setting, completely inundated with volleyball. She knew her dad was a little bit late for that game. So do those experiences mean something to kids of course they do yeah. and now fortunately i see all four of them become wonderful parents and that's that's the legacy we're, we're happy with uh, dr randy greg this has been a pleasure for me uh i really appreciate you coming on i appreciate you talking about some of your experiences um i i, I found you to be very thoughtful i have the, the things you've talked about today, it is very obvious to me that you take time and you reflect and you you take lessons from all these different areas of your life, even if it's years later. Uh, when I think of this this uh, this athlete at the Olympics, uh, in, in, in the 80 Olympics there. Um, but I just thank you. I thank you for sharing your, your, your story with us and and helping us kind of get that message out of, of being relentless. I want to leave you with one last thing because I think it's kind of funny and, and it, it really portrays, it, I think, what what we're all about. <clears throat> so uh, I think recently I was inducted into some of the Alberta Hall, Hockey Hall of Fame or something like that. And anyway, I felt uncomfortable because, you know, that's for the great players. Anyway, one of my good friends says, Randy, you should be proud of you. And I said, I'm really proud, but I don't think I deserve it. And he said, but you, you scored 50 goals in the NHL. I said, yeah, but it took me nine years to get them all. <laughs> so that's a good way. You know what, end. though, Randy? And, and I mean, we were going to close, but now I'm going to keep talking to you. Uh, you you are so humble, and it's it's just this very refreshing thing. But you talked about 
uh, a couple things here. One, when you when you just told the story of the baseball, uh, you're like, yeah, so like I just figured out chart for the junior team, but I ended up making that senior Tigers team. And it's like you talk about it so nonchalantly, um, and then you talked about the the University of Alberta. It's like I thought I'd get a couple skates in, but a couple defensemen retired. So so here's the thing. I appreciate your humility. I do. And even getting put into the Alberta Hall of Fame, you're like, oh, I don't really deserve it. You do deserve it. So I will tell you one last story. And, and th- this is uh, this is something that you see when you're in a dressing room. Um, Wayne Gretzky, arguably the best player ever to play the game of hockey. Walter was a wonderful man, mm-hmm. and we all knew him, and, and he was great. So my father passed away at 104 Oh wow! Yeah, last year. And when he was 99, I thought, you know, I've never asked Wayne for anything. Everybody wants Wayne, a sure. piece of Wayne, a piece of Wayne, but he's 99. I mean, how many people get to be 99? So I texted Wayne. I said, Wayne, I, I just hate to bother you. We haven't talked in a long time, but my father just turned 99. Would you mind if I send you a card? Would you just autograph it and send it back to him? He gets back to me about 10 minutes later. What's his address? So I gave him the address. Two days later, I'm in seeing patients, and the secretary says, uh, Dr. Greg, uh, your dad's on the phone. I said, hi, Dad. How are you doing? There's a package here for you. I said, no, I, I don't think that's for me. I think it's for you. No, it's for you. I don't know anybody in Los Angeles. <laughs> so that night, I went over to my dad's house. He was 99. We opened up the package from Wayne from Los Angeles. Uh, L.A. Kings jersey signed. Um, a poster signed by Wayne and, and, an, and a personalized letter saying, dear Mr. Greg, it was a pleasure playing with your son all those years. Isn't it great to be 99, Wayne Gretzky? So when you see the greatest man in the history of hockey with that humility, how can we be, how can we be anything but? Those were great role models. And uh, yeah, special times for sure. You've taught me some stuff today, and I appreciate that. And one of them is humility. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for being on the podcast. Where can we find out more about the Edmonton Riverhawks so that people can go and get some information and learn all about it? Yeah, so uh, gohawks.ca. I think I think we got a website there. Um, the most important thing, I think, is just uh, take your kid out to the local ball diamond, and, and when they start saying data, I really like this baseball. Can we go watch somebody better? Yeah. That'll be exciting. Awesome. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate you. Anytime.